Hey there, this is Felix Contreras. Before we start the show this week, let me share something with you. For almost 10 years now, it has been my privilege to bring you music and interviews from Latin musicians that you won't hear on mainstream media in either English or Spanish. I firmly believe that if you listen to their music, you get a valuable insight into what is going on in the Latinx communities across the country. This is what Alt Latino brings to the media landscape. And if you want to help us continue to do that, then do this. Go to donate.npr.org music to contribute to your local NPR station. Because when you help the public radio system, you're helping Alt Latino. That's donate.npr.org music. Help Alt Latino represent. Now, let's get on with the show. From NPR Music, this is Alt Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. One of the many things we do here at NPR Music is think about music. But think about it in ways that makes us all maybe see things a little differently and and hear things a little differently. For the past three years, a dedicated team of producers and writers have been leading a special series called Turning the Tables, in which we re-examine the role of women in music. In the first two years, there was a deep dive into the 150 greatest albums made by women from all genres and styles. We also listed what we think are the 25 most influential women of the 21st century and made a list of 200 of the greatest songs by women and non-binary people working today. The goal of the series is simple and is stated on our website. Quote, It is dedicated to refocusing the canon of popular music on stories and voices that have been overlooked, marginalized, or hidden in plain sight. The goal is also to free the music of women and others who don't fit the dominant straight white male paradigm from special categories and put it at the center where major conversations about culture cohere. Now, those are lofty goals, and toward that end, this year, the Turning the Tables project focuses on eight women who invented popular music. They are blues singer Bessie Smith, country music pioneer Maybelle Carter, and jazz vocalist Billie Holiday and Ella Fitzgerald, pioneering opera vocalist Marian Anderson, and jazz musician Mary Lou Williams, whose music you're listening to right now, electric guitarist and rock and roll pioneer sister Rosetta Tharp, and the queen of salsa, Celia Cruz. For this special edition of Alt Latino, I'm going to make the connection between Latin music and some of the women who are featured this year. We're going to hear from two young female vocalists from Latin America who both cite Ella Fitzgerald as a major influence on their singing. There is also a conversation with a vocalist from Africa who was inspired by Celia Cruz not only through music, but through self-determination and empowerment. And we'll hear from two actresses who will tell us what it was like to portray the legendary queen of salsa Celia Cruz in a celebrated telenovela. But first, we're going to hear from Chicana punk musician Alice Bagg, a pioneer in her own right, who thinks that Bessie Smith, a blues singer from the 20s and 30s, was really the prototype for punk. I'll let her explain. But first, let's hear a little bit of the great Bessie Smith. This is Alice Bagg. I am a singer, songwriter, and music producer. I was drawn to Bessie Smith's music kind of by 
a weird mishap. I went to see Lady Sings the Blues expecting to fall in love with Billie Holiday because I already knew Billie Holiday's music and I was already a fan. But as I was watching the movie, there was a track playing in the background, which was Bessie Smith's version of Taint Nobody's Business If I Do. It was love at first listen. And I, I did a little bit of research. I found some Bessie Smith records and I started listening. There was something in her voice, in the unprettiness of her voice. There was emotion and a little bit of a little bit of grit. And then as I got to know her over the years, I felt like I got I only got closer to her. I felt like she was a kind of sexual rebel. She didn't play by the rules. She wasn't trying to uh, fit in in any pattern of what a woman singer should be. She, I think at times, was sexually ambiguous. She was bisexual. She was a badass, you know? She talked about, like, drinking and having sex, and she wanted a little bit of sugar in her bowl and wasn't shy about asking for it. So, yeah, I felt like she was, you know, just someone after my own heart. I need a little sugar in my bowl. I need a little hot dog on my roll. I can stand a bit of loving oh so bad. I feel so funny. I feel so sad. I need a little on my floor maybe I can fix things up so they'll go what's the matter hot papa come on and save your mama's soul cause I need a little sugar in my bowl doggone it I need some sugar in my bowl I've listened to Bessie Smith over the years. Mostly, I think it's when I want to psych myself out to either go out or when I'm feeling like I just want to sit at home and be romantic with my partner or when I am angry and I'm doing shots. <laughs> in, in all kinds of situations, I feel like there's something about her that feels like a kindred spirit. Like someone I'd want to hang out with. Give me a big foot and a bottle of beer. Send me cake. I don't care. I feel just like I want a clown. Give the beer the play a drink because he's bringing me down. He's got a rhythm. Yeah. When he stomps his feet, he sends me. Spread off the sleep, check all your razors, 
I think her music would have been different, you know, if she'd been alive right now. I mean, it's so hard to take her out of her historical place because I feel like she was, you know, she was in many ways reacting to what was happening around her and singing about sex and booze and bathtub gin (laughs) and singing a song that talks about like, send me to the electric chair. I mean, you, you can't sing a song like that today. It doesn't have the same meaning. I think of Bessie Smith as like an early form of punk rocker because she wasn't part of the mainstream, because she was playing by her own rules, because she was successful despite the fact that maybe she wasn't successful in a mainstream way. She was successful on her own terms, and that's very punk rock. I caught you with your good time there. The Turning the Table series was featured on NPR news magazines this year. In September, alt-Latino contributor Catalina Maria Johnson did a story for Morning Edition about the profound influence Ella Fitzgerald had on two artists we have featured here on Alt-Latino. Here's her story. Mabiland is a 24-year-old neo-soul artist from Colombia who sounds like this. Mabiland grew up in Quibdó, a small city on the Pacific coastal plains of Colombia, and she remembers the very first Ella Fitzgerald song she heard when she was nine years old. I had no idea a woman could sing like that. For me, to hear that voice and understand the power of someone who could put her soul into her voice like that, for me, that is Ella. Mabiland, whose real name is Mabeli Largacha, says her mom even played one of her favorite Ella tunes at bedtime to get her to sleep. Say it's only a paper moon Sailing over a cardboard sea but it wouldn't be make-believe if you believed in me. 
Daime Arosena is a 27-year-old singer and composer who grew up in Havana, Cuba. Arosena started singing when she was eight years old, but she didn't hear Ella Fitzgerald until she was 15, when she was invited to join the big band at the famed Havana Conservatory. What really caught her ear was Ella's scat singing. I said to myself, oh my goodness, what is she doing? Do you know what? I don't know what she's doing, but I want to do it too. <laughs> so my love with Ella was pretty connected to a scat. And being honest, one of my dreams is to get that level of scatting one day. Neither singer wants to copy Ella. Instead, Mabilan says she tries to take what she's learned from listening to Fitzgerald and combine it with hip hop, R&B, and soul to tell her own story. I have listened to a lot of artists, and I always put her on because that's what she means to me. When I speak of Ella, I think so much of what I'm sharing with people with my voice. When I interpret a song, when I write a song, when I go through the process of putting my soul into it. And for Daimea Rosena, it's not so much about the purity of Ella's voice or her perfect diction. For me, the most impressive thing was the way she could conduct ideas. She could create melodies, rhythms, all the technique that she had to do anything that she had in her mind. Any person that wants to be a singer should know Ella Fitzgerald. Rambling man makes no change in me. I'm gonna ramble back to my used to be. These two Latina millennials agree Ella Fitzgerald's songs are as exciting and interesting today as they were when she recorded her first hit in 1938. Mabilan says Ella transcends her time. I think they're artists that you know are good, who in their generational moment, they mark that moment. And there are others who are eternal. Ella Fitzgerald was eternal. Arosena says she was unique. Every single day pop up a new singer, but Ella had light, the light from the sky. She had the power from the earth. She had the sweetness from sugar, from honey. She had the colors of her heritage, her ancestors. So I think could last forever, Ella. She's going to be here forever. 
And Mabilan says Ella Fitzgerald changed her. I feel that my life would not have been the same if I hadn't listened to her. For NPR News, I'm Catalina Maria Johnson. You are listening to a special edition of Alt Latino, looking back at a fabulous series produced by NPR Music called Turning the Tables, this year featuring eight women who invented popular music. We've heard about the influence of Bessie Smith and Nella Fitzgerald, and the next two stories feature the impact of the Queen of Salsa, Celia Cruz. Last year, West African vocalist Angelique Kijo released an album dedicated to Celia called Simply Celia. It was a West African interpretation of Celia's most popular songs, one of the best albums of the year, I think. I interviewed her back in April. Then in September, NPR's All Things Considered ran a shorter version of the interview as part of the Turning the Tables series. As long as there's Cuba, there will be salsa music. And as long as there's salsa, there will always be Celia Cruz. Celia Cruz is the subject of the latest installment of our series, Turning the Tables. We've been reinterpreting the history of popular music by putting women front and center. But you hardly have to do that with Cruz. Her extraordinary career lasted more than 50 years. Before she died in 2003, she released dozens of albums, won numerous awards, including two Grammys, and earned the title Queen of Salsa. Cruz was Cuban, and she always embraced her and salsa's African roots. And Afropop legend Angelique Kijo embraced her right back. She recently released an album of Celia Cruz songs. Then Kijo sat down with Felix Contreras, host of the NPR podcast Out Latino, to talk about the enduring impact Celia Cruz had on her career and life. The first time I heard Celia Cruz was uh, on album, the album with Johnny Pacheco, uh, the blue album where Kimbara was on it. La rumba me está llamando. Then it hits me that women can do salsa and can sing salsa too. So she came to perform in Africa and I happened to be one of the few that went to see her because I wanted to see with my own eyes that it was a woman, because till then, for me, salsa has always been a male endeavor. Because in Africa, we love salsa, and every salsa group was only male guy. Wow. So for me, it was like, a woman sing, singing salsa? I want to go see it for myself. So this is uh, in 1974 when she went to perform with the Defania yep. All-Stars in Zaire. Yeah. Uh, which which was a very, very big deal for not just Celia, but for the all of the Fania All-Stars, because they were taking, like you said, they were taking salsa, which has African roots. They were taking the Afro-Cuban music back to Africa, and the reception, when you see the, there is a film made of that concert, mm-hmm. and when you see the reception, it was like Africa was welcoming her. Muchas gracias. Merci beaucoup. Celia Cruz, Para Africa. Oh yeah, we love her so much in Africa. We love salsa so much. So I mean, Africa has always been something really close to Celia. In her in her earlier career, 
she has never shied away from her African roots. And I was fortunate in the late 80s, early 90s, that a friend of mine, a journalist, a radio journalist called Remy Kolpakopu, we call him RKK, and every time we do an interview, he always asks me, choose three or four songs that you want to play on this uh, on this show. And I always pick a, a song from Celia. And one day he called me and said, Celia is coming to play in Paris. And I was, it was around 7 something p.m. and I was already in front of my TV in my PJs. And I said, what? Celia in Paris? She said, you want to meet Celia or not? I said, this is not a joke. If it's a joke, I, I, I mean, I will hate you forever. <laughs> he said, no, you start getting dressed while you're talking. You're missing an opportunity. So we arrived there and all the musicians were already on stage. She was alone in the dressing room. And I think she, uh, Remy called ahead and she knew what we were coming. So we came in and then, he, he, of course, Remy knew Celia. They start speaking Spanish, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, mm-hmm. what about me? And then uh, he introduces me, and then Celia said, called me, mi hermana africana, mi hermana. Uh. And then that was where, I mean, it was, I couldn't even talk anymore. And I couldn't speak Spanish, even though I understand a lot of it. I couldn't speak, and I said, I love your song, um, Kimbara. She said, really? And I go, Kimbara, 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 Kimbamba, Kimbara. And then she go, oh, 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 you know the song? <laughs> You're going to sing with me on stage? I say, yes. I thought she was joking. And then she called me on stage. <gasps> and I'm never going to forget the face of her husband, Faith. I mean, the face he made. Pedro because Knight. he, But he didn't know. Yeah. But he, he didn't know. So he said he invited, she invited me and the husband just looked at me like, what in the world is this circus? And Celia said something to him and he goes, okay, if you say start the song, I'm starting the song. So I went on stage, I go, Kimbara, 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 Kimbamba, Kimbara, 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 Kimbamba, hey, mama, hey, mama. And I start my my porridge of Spanish singing. <laughs> she was cracking up laughing. She was laughing so hard. And I look at her and I say, Angelique, what are you doing? You're making a fool of yourself. So I say, okay, I'm done. And I give her back the microphone and run off stage. <laughs> <laughs> I would suspect that there's some people, whenever you're going to say, okay, we're going to, we're going to uh, redo some Celia Cruz music, there are some people who would say, no, no, don't touch it, because it's, it's perfect the way it is, mm-hmm. right? But did you have any concerns about that going into this project? No, because I never wanted to be Celia. I wanted to give back what Celia gave me, the strength for me to be a woman in the music business. She gave me that strength. She gave me the endless possibility that what we women decide to do, we can do. We're still talking about the Me Too movement today. We're talking about women's rights. We're talking about women empowerment. But we are our own worst enemy because we're always doubting of our capacity, our possibilities, our challenges, and our skills. Men don't question twice when you give them a position, a high position. They embrace it and take it. We still are in this position where, because we have been raised like that, to be subdued, to be wives, to be the one that cares, but never think about ourselves, to be at the forefront of any decision, of any managerial position, or just lead the world, we always doubting our own power. And Celia have said to me, by going on stage and saying, Azúcar, the way she dressed, everything about Celia is self-determination and self-affirmation. 
You can be whoever you want to be. You just have to have the courage to embrace yourself. Don't mind what people have to say. You got to be who you want to be. Because if you have to listen to everybody, my grandmother told me that if you let people talk about you and, and, and make you make decisions based upon what they are saying, you let people define defining you, you're never going to have a life. So Celia was me, for me, not just the talk that my grandmother gave me, but the exemplification of it. The existence of define yourself, tell your own story, stand for who you are, be proud of who you are, and just move into the world, walk elegantly, walk with power, walk with dignity, walk with asuka, with joy and panache. That was Angelique Kujo and NPR's Felix Contreras on the enduring influence of Celia Cruz. In 2015, the Telemundo Television Network ran a multi-part series about Celia Cruz. The production used two actresses to reflect both the young Cuban-based Celia and the older international star we knew so well. NPR contributor Marisa Arbona Ruiz talked to both actresses for this report. Guantanamera, Guajira, Guantanamera. For some 20 years, Cuban vocalist Aimé Nuviola was connected to Celia Cruz, the legendary queen of salsa, through a pair of earrings and unusual happenstance. Both forged careers as Afro-Cuban singers in the male-dominated industry, and both were far from home when they crossed paths at a wedding in Mexico. Cruz gave her younger counterpart some career advice, and then, as if moved by a premonition or an unspoken sisterhood, she did something that caught Nuviola off guard. Celia gave me some earrings, took them off and gave me them to me. And when I saw his spontaneous gesture, I did the same and took my own and gave them to her. <laughs> it was like an exchange, something that surprised me. And I still remember it today. And it surprised me even today. Cruz's success helped motivate generations of girls to dream big. Girls like a young Jamie Osorio growing up in Puerto Rico. Many years later, a chance encounter would also tie her to Cruz and the telenovela. I was doing a character in Mexico that played a tribute to, to Celia. She even had a shrine with her pictures and she would sing all her songs in the show. And that for me was a sign. Then... An invitation to a small party brought the connection even closer. I did not know at the moment that the producer and the, the casting director were there. So I have this friend that tells me, go, Jamie, go sing something. And I was in the kitchen. I, was, I wasn't even thinking about anything. I was just thinking about the character that I was playing at the moment. So I started singing one of Celia's songs, La Vida es un Carnaval. And we were at the kitchen singing, and one of them um, took a video of me just singing Celia. I didn't know. It was funny because a couple months later, they called me to go to Miami and audition. After parts in the telenovela Una Maid in Manhattan and Porque el Amor Manda, portraying the once shy young singer with the big voice would be Osorio's first leading role. Cruz's early years in Cuba provided plenty of drama for the aspiring actress to sink her teeth into, like her rise to stardom with La Sonora Matancera in the 1950s, her uneasy romance with the Casanova trumpeter Pedro Knight, the 1959 Cuban Revolution, and her exile. 
Ese es tu sueño, conocerla. Más que eso. Mi sueño es ser la cantante de la Sonora. Sí, feita y sin gracia como soy. Sería la mujer más feliz del mundo el día que yo llegase a lograr. She opened the door for me. For all the women in the industry. In my case, I didn't have to deal with racism as much as he did. I didn't have to deal with sexism. There were also uncanny parallels that made her feel closer to Cruz. While shooting a hospital scene in which Cruz's mother lies ill, Osorio's own mother was hospitalized. And in both cases, their families lied to them to downplay the crisis. Both also got their first big breaks by winning singing contests against parental resistance. Playing this scene brought Osorio to uncontrollable tears on stage. So the director began tossing flowers. Yes, that was spontaneous. I was just there being myself in the middle, just crying. And he said, okay, what do we do? What do we do? Let's just throw some flowers. Okay, let's throw some flowers. And it was like that. Aimee Nuviola takes over as Cruz in episode 55. Long settled in New York with now-husband and manager Pedro Knight, she explores a new Afro-Caribbean fusion called salsa. By the 80s, she hit superstardom with the Fania All-Stars, marked by a flamboyant persona, big smile, and catchword, azúcar! Casting a novice actor was a gamble for the series, but Nuviola had great showmanship, and the parallels between the singers' lives were hard to ignore. That we are both from poor neighborhoods of Havana. We were teachers. We are Afro-Cuban with all the props and cons that brings. We both won an important singing contest that helped us succeed in Cuba, very young. We were immigrants in Mexico and the United States. And then we achieved success outside of Cuba with the years and much, much sacrifice. It took Duviola a year to prepare for the role. Between giving international concerts, researching footage, and interviewing people who knew Cruz for details that humanized the icon. The preparation for the character of Celia Cruz was long and meticulous. I watched many of her videos, interviews, photographs her many anecdotes about her personal and artistic life. I want to find coincidence between her and me. And I want everything to flow naturally, not as, as a cartoon no, of, of, her, of her person. And, and that was really difficult. As the camera started rolling, Nuviola's thrill of portraying the Queen of Salsa quickly turned into a very intense first day. I said, oh, my God, here we go. This is the moment <laughs> that I have to, uh, uh, that I had waiting, but at the same time that I feel, uh, ¿cómo se dice miedo? Fear, very nervous. Responsibility with me, with the productions. And I said, well, this is real. This is not a dream. was a dream, but now it's real. <laughs> And I have to assume the responsibility and and do my best. Yo tuve un sueño. Un sueño. ¿Qué? Cuando estaba en el hospital, así medio turulapa, se me apareció el babalao. But all good series come to an end. After inhabiting Cruz's character for so long, 
Luviola said she was in shock after the director's final call to cut and wrap production. You took around a year to construct a character, and you began to think like hair, began to walk like hair, began to talk like hair, and try to feel like hair. But in one day, in, in, in an instant, uh, you have to let go. Yeah, and was sad, too, for me. was sad. So who would have thought Nuviola would one day be wearing not just earrings, but Cruz's entire persona? I think I accomplished the mission of interpreting her as she deserved. If Celia were alive, she might not have agreed with some things from the series. It, it, it's all what happens. But with my interpretation, she would have been satisfied. Not that. I don't have that. Because I did it with all my love, with all my effort, and with much respect about her, no? Since the series, Nuviola has added a medley of Cruz songs to her concerts. Osorio has taken a more socially conscious platform. And for both, the queen of salsa is just as alive in death as she was in life, still giving us plenty of azúcar. All her music was happy, and that's how we remember her, because her lyrics were about unity, were about happiness, were about love and, and, and connecting with yourself. So I have so many things from her that if there's a role model, that's her. Because if I want a career to be as successful as her, I have to be as humble as her. I have to respect music as her. I have to really be kind, and, and, and that should come from the heart. They almost know that there was no country where she was performance in which she would not leave a trace of humility, decency, and compassion with the people in need. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's very important to know. She's still here. When you, when you listen to her, there's a song that is called Yo Viviré, where she says, it, it, it doesn't matter if I'm gone, my music is still here, and if you listen to it, it's because I am alive. Reporting for Ad Latino, I'm Marisa Arbona Ruiz. The Turning the Table series is the product of so many people behind the scenes. Be sure to go to our website at npr.org slash turning the tables to check it all out. Of course, you can follow us here at Alt Latino at Facebook and Twitter. We are NPR's Alt Latino. And don't forget to check out our weekly playlists on Spotify and Apple Music, the best new music every week. This has been Alt Latino. I'm Felix Contreras. As always, thank you so much for listening.